Welcome to the AWP podcast series. This event was recorded at the 2017 AWP conference in Washington, D.C. The recording features Laurie Jean Kennedy, Darlene Taylor, Yona Harvey, A. Van Jordan, and Derek Rodriguez. You will now hear Laurie Jean Kennedy provide introductions. Good evening, everyone. How are you? Isn't this a beautiful day? We didn't get any of that snow that was supposed to be coming in. And we are here to celebrate a beautiful organization, one that has really touched me. And in every point in my literary career, I have um, always bounced back to the morals and the gifts that Hurston Wright gave me when I first began. Um, you all don't know who I am. My name is Lori Jean Kennedy. Um, I had my first book come out actually in November, and I started drafting that book at Hurston Wright. And I remember being a new faculty member at Lock Haven University in central Pennsylvania. And if you need to get an idea of what, you know, central Pennsylvania is like, they say you have Philadelphia on one side, Pittsburgh on the other, and Alabama in the middle. Um, and it is very, very true. And I remember just being a new faculty member at a predominantly white institution with predominantly white faculty and not really being able to share my work with anyone. Um, I was teaching five classes, four that were writing intensive and one that was intro to lit, and I could not find space for my writing life. But I knew I had a story in me. And I knew it needed to get out, and I knew if I were able to get it out that it would help others. And I went searching, and my search led me to Hurston Wright, the retreat. And I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know who would be there. I knew there were all of these authors that I admired, that I had seen and read their work and really been touched by it. But I didn't imagine what type of impact. I just knew I needed to get there. And so I applied, and I was so excited to have been accepted to that retreat. And it really changed my life. It changed my writing life. It changed my career. I was one of the faculty members who got promoted first, and Hurston Wright was um, a part of that because I was able to include that beautiful certificate you all gave me showing that I was being active in the literary community. It changed my son, who was supposed to be here today, my, my oldest son. His name is Derek Rodriguez, and he is actually a student at Howard University. He's a grad student there now, and he's teaching. Yes, he is. He went to Howard because of my experience at Hurston Wright. I told him about the campus. I told him about the people, the school, and he said, I'm going to get there the best way I can. And he couldn't be here today because he just got a brand new teaching job full time. So mama's not, I'm not complaining about that because um, he could pay his own student loans now. Um, <laughs> but he's teaching in D.C. And I really did want him to be here because he heard so much about Hurston Wright and how it impacted me. And I just want to give you all just a little visual of what it felt like to be a young lady walking on campus around 15 years ago 
not knowing whether or not I would have a place, and finding writing partners that I still keep in touch with today, people who have read my work, people who I trust, people who value what I have to say. And that is what Hurston Wright has offered to so many African-American writers. And if you have had an opportunity to be a part of this program or to give to this program, you should consider yourself very lucky because the world that we live in today we need it more now than ever. So I want to thank you, Marita. I want to thank Clive. I want to thank you both for not really seeing maybe the impact that you could have, but sticking to it and working to fill the needs of others. I am really appreciative, and I am so happy to, to moderate this panel. I do, um, a little later, I'll show you the Amistad Journal that my son by himself, because you know how it is in grad school when you edit a magazine, um, <laughs> edited this magazine, and there is a Hurston Wright section on it as well, because, of course, Howard University always celebrates what you all do. We're going to start with Darlene, who is a board member of Hurston Wright, and she's going to give us some information on the wonderful things that they're doing and what moves them every day. Thank you, Darlene. Thank you. Thank you, Lori, for organizing this panel and for your appreciation of your experience at the Hurston Wright Foundation that led to this discussion today. Thank you, Van, and thank you, Yana, for your experiences that you'll be sharing as well. Um, this is my first AWP conference, and I now get what everyone says when they say it's big. Truly, there's a lot to attend, to celebrate, and participate in. I'm excited about being here, and this panel is a chance to celebrate literature, the literary community, and to hear writers present their works, as well as talk about what's on their minds. This is a very mindful time for us, and uh, so it's a wonderful time to gather and to be gathering in Washington. I wanted to share a little bit about my journey with Hurston Wright. It starts with, in 2012, I went to a workshop led by Dolan Perkins Valdez. She had written Wench, and I wanted to hear her thoughts about craft, her journey, the questions that led her to that work. I was, and I do explore in my own work, little-known characters from historical moments, and I just felt like, I need to talk to this woman. I, I, I need to find out about my story, my journey, and feel part of a community of writers. And Hurston Wright was that for me. I sat around a table with 10 other writers who were like me. Like me in terms of searching, in terms of trying to build community, writing stories, and wanting a place where we could be together, have our work privileged, not questioned, and feel that community and family. As a board member, I am incredibly honored to that Clyde and Marita invited me and the other members, and actually we have three board members who have joined us here today, and I'll introduce you all in just a second, um, for supporting this mission, and that is creating a space for black writers. Hurston Wright creates a place of openness, a place where work from our culture is valued, where writers understand there are many stories, many voices from the world of black writers. The organization now is 27 years old, and I want to share with you a little bit of, and I'm going to take it from 
you know, there are many places I can go to for our background. And uh, you can always go to our website and learn more. That's hurstonwright.org. But I want to share this book with you. I hope you all can see this gumbo. And in this, Marita makes a note about the starting of the foundation. I want to start with the okay. um, two powerful quotes. Richard Wright, our mission is to tell the truth at whatever cost. Zora Neale Hurston, I am not tragically colored. There is no great sorrow damned up in my soul nor lurking beyond my eyes. I do not mind it at all. Marita writes in her note in Gumbo, the Zora Neale Hurston Richard Wright Foundation was started with $750 and a dream. The money was Marita's. The dream belonged to every writer everywhere. And it was the desire for rec recognition, support, and community. The African-American writer has, of necessity, been visionary and witness, a channel for an individual sense of story, even while recognizing that for black people in America, writing is fighting. The most important and crucial lesson that Marita notes that she learned from other writers was about the lonely, difficult, rewarding, beyond measure, dangerous, amazing, misunderstood endeavor we undertake. And that is the lesson of courage. Courage not only in the face of a society and a world that often seeks to silence the complexity and beauty of the experience of African people, but courage in the face of the fear and narrow-mindedness and orthodoxy that bedevils our own community. Writing, she says again, is fighting. But it's also building and loving and confirming and creating. It's a job, a lifestyle, an honorable and even secret way of living in the world. The Hurston Wright Foundation was started in 1990 by novelist Marita Golden, bibliophile Clyde Mc, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, McElveen, both dedicated cultural activists and lovers of black literature. Thank you, Marita and Clyde, for all that you have done. And actually, there's beautiful pictures over there, so you can see them for those of you from the back. And can we all please just applaud for them? That work is continued by, uh, we've got three board members here with us today. I'm sorry, actually, I'm looking at Deb and I'm calling her a board member because she was a board member, but she stepped down to serve as the executive director. So Audrey Hipkins and Melanie Hatter, would you please stand so we can recognize you as well for your work? And Deborah Hurd, who's the executive director, who... Say hello to. <laughs> Say hello to. She, she gets things done. The foundation has our, our programming, our summer workshop for writers, master classes. We've um, honored a team program, uh, having high school students from the Washington area come in and learn from accomplished writers. Uh, last year, Marita joined us at Malou High School, working with young writers there, helping them tell their story and using the story of former Mayor Marion Barry to help students find the story within them and to tell that story and share it. This organization has meant a lot to me and to many of you in the room. 
I'd like right now, forgive me, just one more second more. Everyone who's ever participated in a Hurston Wright workshop or attended the Legacy Awards, would you please stand? I want to see how many are. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The Hurston Wright Foundation started with the College Writers Award. And actually, we have. And forgive me if I'm missing anybody, but I see two former college award, award winners here in the room, Ravi Howard and David Anthony Durham. Thank you all for being here. Did I miss anybody? <laughs> so that's our story. That's our legacy. I hope you're part of it with us. Um, every year in October is the Legacy Awards, and that is a celebration of the best in literature that's written by black writers. It's hosted here in Washington. The recent competition uh, just ended. The judges have now received their copies of the books. And uh, we just also completed, or we're beginning the journey now with the College Writer Award. So one of the things I'd love for each of you all to do, and especially if you're with a university, you have students, please make sure that Deb has your email address because our job is to make sure that those young writers out there have a chance to be recognized and be heard and be a part of the Hurston Wright family. But we can only do that if you help us with your engagement with the foundation. So please share your information with Deb. And if you missed her, Deb, please stand again. <laughs> And I also see a former board member, Rochelle. Would you please stand, Rochelle Spencer? Thank you for being here today. All right, thank you all very much. And now we have the incomparable Yona Harvey. I met Yona at the Hurston Wright <laughs> Legacy Awards. So see, this is running all up and through here. And I just remember in reading her book, her beautiful poetry, when I met her, I just was dumbfounded. And um, I'm, you, you, you're in for a treat, so just get ready. Yona Harvey. <laughs> Thank you, Lori. I love her. <laughs> That's kind of what my talk is. It's very brief. Um, I love black people. I love books. So black people writing books is just all good. I mean, <laughs> um, okay, so I feel a little bit fraudulent about being up here because my book wasn't really a Hurston Wright winner. It was a nominee. But I love that. Lori totally forgot that when she no, asked me. No, it was me. a finalist. It was a finalist. So that's a winner. Qualifies? Okay. Yes. All right. I know my stuff. Wow. Okay. You're a winner, girl. <laughs> okay. Okay, see? It's all good spirits, right? So my HU classmate, Ahmad Jamal Johnson, was the winner in poetry, which was awesome, right? Um... So I remember when I came to the Hurston Wright ceremony in 2014, there really wasn't a big emphasis on like winners or nominees or finalists, at least in my mind. I, I didn't get that vibe at all. It was like this really great, I don't know, it felt like a reunion, book festival, celebration of black writing and literature. Like to me, that was the overall kind of spirit of the ceremony. And I remember, too, that it took place at a 
really difficult time in my life. I mean, it was just like a hellish year. It was a terrible year. So the timing of it was really just perfect, like nourishing and healing. Um, and I, I know Nikki Giovanni was there that year, too, presenting. I can't. Was she, like, getting an award? She, she was She, she was honored. With the uh, North Star Award. Right. Yes. So that was a big deal. So I had my parents, who live in Cincinnati, meet me there because black people from Cincinnati and Nikki Giovanni were like this, <laughs> you know? So they came. I packed my kids up in the car. And I really, I also really needed to see my parents at that time in my life, too. So, I mean, it was just all working Together, And I can remember, too, like my mom saw Nikki Giovanni in the hotel where the Hearst and Wright folks had kind of stationed us. And it was all good. I was like, she, my mother hadn't even read my book and didn't. <laughs> I mean, she was like, okay, great. You are good. She read Nikki Giovanni. Was, yes. Right? Everything in that moment became legit. Right? So then, just coming back to the ceremony, the next night, um, I just felt like, you know, my spirit's just getting lifted <laughs> over the course of the evening. So I met all these writers who I'd kind of heard of before but never interacted with. So Mitchell Jackson was there and No Violet and Chinelo, um, Rimika Bingham, yep. who introduced us, yes, right? Did. And she kept saying, like, I got, you got to meet this woman named Lori. And I was like, okay, okay, great. And Lori was Lori, <laughs> right? My parents met Ahmad. It was just all this, like, good, good, good stuff happening. And I also met uh, Dana Williams, who was, like, the chair of the English department at Howard. And she brought, like, about four or five of her students and you know we got to talk it was just they were so cute so it was really just this kind of continuous loop of reciprocal affirmation all night very very much needed right but beneath all that was a very real thing which were these incredible books that people had written and the legacy which pretty much made it possible for us to write these books so when I left, I had, you know, of course I felt better, but I had these really good texts that I could take back. I live in Pittsburgh. And I had this other kind of language, I guess, that I feel like I got this language that I had been separated from for a lot of reasons that that's a whole other panel. Um, but I think it's connected to what Lori said before about being in Lock Haven. You know, Pittsburgh is not quite... Lock Haven, but it has moments like that. <laughs> so, you know, I was dealing with that. And then over the next several months, and really into the next year, I read uh, The Residue Years, We Need New Names, Dark Town Follies, that was Ahmaud Jamal Johnson's book. That was more of a rereading. And then Craig Stephen Wilder's uh, Ebony and Ivy, that was a really big one, that nonfiction book that was incredibly uh, important to me that year. I mean, you're nodding your head, so you must know this book. You know, the whole Ivy League institution, the slavery that made those institutions possible. You know, that was just right on time. All of these texts that I got that night were just vital. Um, and then I also reconnected with Dolan Perkins, Perkins Valdez. I mean, I hadn't seen her in like 15 
year, something crazy. So I got her book that night, and I got to, it was like being in touch with her again through the page over the next year. That book was Wench, which I think you talked about, <laughs> right? Okay, so then in the year after that, I stayed in touch with Lori, who later invited me to Lock Haven, and then Lori's book came out, and then in reading that nonfiction book, Crave, I felt like I was having this conversation with Lori that I didn't even know was on the table. Like, to me, her book is very much like a book of poems. Like, even the subheadings and the chapter headings, they're really like little vignettes, and they just sing to you. It's like she's got From Scratch, The Reasons, Nowhere Man, Black Oak, Blind Spot. It, there's a lot of them, little mini sections. And the most important one, though, is this one where she is describing the difference that a writer feels at a young age, maybe this kind of feeling that makes us a little bit different from our family, the way that we see things and perceive things. So she has a part where she opens up and she says, like, living in one's head is a lonely existence. And then there's a long meditation about how she's in this, like, very busy space. She's got, there's a lot of siblings and cousins and people, but she can't engage. She doesn't really want to engage. She can hear them on the other side of the wall, but there's something about her that's more like solitary. She loves what she hears, but there's like this distance. And to me, I see that or read that as like something that's very unique to writers. I mean, I could be imposing that on her. I don't mean to impose that on her book, but that was just very important for me. I felt like she understood at a really deep level, um, I don't know, that kind of writerly feeling. Anyway, and I remember being struck by that because I was like, okay, we're literary sisters. But Lori, kind of, she's a really good storyteller, and she seems like an extrovert, but there was this very private moment in that passage and it happens elsewhere in the book and I just really love the surprise of that and that also stayed with me like over the course of the year okay and so this is why really she's at the heart of this I feel so indebted to you all for the Hurston Wright organization um, I just feel like there aren't that many spaces certainly not ceremonies where you can go and there's a kind of ease to it. There's not a lot of pretension. It was just so easy to be there. And I don't know, I kind of came with not much expectation. I just didn't know what to expect. So it was so good to be in this kind of reaffirming space that friendships came out of. Um, yeah, and books, really great books. There's a lot of muscle behind the selections in all of those books that were there. Those books were for sale. And I just really appreciate the, the thought and the thinking and the care that was behind all that. And um, I think, you know, just much gratitude, much love. And I'll just end it there. Thank you so much. And I'll just add, Hemming the Water is one of the most beautiful poetry books you could ever read. And what Yona didn't say is I actually ran up to her at the Hurston Wright event, and I hugged her mama, too. And I know they were like, who is this lady? And I crashed Hurston Wright. Well, Ramika invited me. Um, but, <laughs> but I just felt so honored to be in that space. And I didn't see... Um, 
Ava and Jordan there that time. But I actually also have a connection with him from Hurston Wright because my retreat that I was at, he was teaching there. And um, it was so wonderful. He wasn't my teacher. Patrice Gaines was actually my teacher, and she was amazing. But I met him there. You know, the students and the faculty, they just coexisted. They talked. They shared. There was a love there. No hierarchies. And I remember then visiting my MFA program, Vermont College of Fine Arts. And you know how it is. All the ladies, you know, just surround him. And, um, <laughs> and so he was completely surrounded by young women. And, um, and after that kind of died off, it didn't die off for long. But after that died off a little bit, I said, hey, you know, remember I was at rehearsal? He said, yeah, I remember you. And he said, you should have come over here and said hi. I'm like, nah, you had too many girls there. Um, <laughs> but he said... You know, if you were there, then we're always family, no matter where we are. So next time, you better come and say something to me. And again, that is part of the heart of this place. He has way too many books to even name, so I'm going to bring him up here so he can actually share with you all. Laurie, thank you, thank you. I'm so glad my wife's not here today. Oh. Yeah, but, <laughs> um, you know, I feel like I'm in a, in a time machine here. Um, I don't know how Yona feels about this, but we both, we're both from Ohio, and um, I always felt like D.C. was my second hometown because I kind of felt like I grew up as a writer here. And um, being in this room and, and seeing so many, you know, old faces who still look young. You guys aren't aging any, you know. Um, it's, just, it's just great. And it actually did snow where I was coming from. I was coming from Newark, and um, we got, like, almost a foot of snow. And so uh, I had sent my, I sent my comments ahead of time to you guys because I didn't think I was going to make it. And I, I just uh, literally just got off the train and, and came in here. I'm just going to read what I have um, and get to it. Uh, I've had a long, varied history with the Hurston Wright Foundation. I've had the pleasure of being a workshop participant, of serving as a workshop faculty, and I just re remembered hearing Yona that I also was a finalist uh, for the Poetry Award, and of serving on the jury for the Hurston Wright Award in Poetry. In this way, I've had a gift of a 360-degree view of the foundation. In the mid-'90s, I started attending the workshops, first in fiction, later in poetry, and it became one of the few safe spaces for me to explore the subjects I was attempting to render on the page. I was working here in Washington, D.C. as an environmental journalist for what's now called Bloomberg BNA. During those years, I felt like I spent my workday tamping down any sign of imagination that emerged, and I spent the night conjuring it back up. Whenever I had a Hurston Wright workshop to prepare for, it lit a path for me through those nights. I credit my preparation for graduate school to Hurston Wright. Indeed, I can't imagine my being able to gain admission to any MFA program had I not spent summers in Richmond, Virginia, where the Hurston Wright Foundation workshops were held back then. I think it was at Virginia Com VCU, Virginia Commonwealth. Um, after finishing an MFA in, at, in Warren Wilson College's low residency program, I started getting published. One would think that once you've published that you're in a safe space with your work. By that I mean you come to realize that you have people who read your work and support it. So what more could you want as a writer? The answer to that is the reason we're all here today. I'm not comfortable in crowds of people, even crowds of people I know. But I love writers, and I love Hurston Wright, 
And like, you know, I love black people too. <laughs> and that's the only reason I'm here. I know that I need community. Even now, after getting published, even after getting published a few times, even after winning a few awards or a fellowship here and there, I still seek out safe spaces to be a black writer. And unfortunately, I still find myself in spaces that are not safe to be a black writer. I grew up in a solid African-American working class community in Akron, Ohio. And I had many friends growing up, and although my family had the dysfunction of many other families, it was and continues to be supportive and loving. I say all of that to say that even with that love and support, I don't think I would have become a writer had I not had the community I was surrounded by in Washington, D.C. during those formative years. Part of that experience was the reason why I ended up at a bookstore in DuPont Circle, which isn't there anymore. Um, to hear Marita read from Migrations of the Heart and to ask her Common as she sung. Common concerns. Common concerns. Yeah. Right. Um, Migrations of the Heart and to ask her as she signed my book, where do you teach? Had I not heard her read, I wouldn't have known about Hurston Wright. I wouldn't have had those workshops. I'm sure I wouldn't have had, I wouldn't have had the safety to explore writing poems, something that was so foreign to me, experience, uh, to my experience growing up in my hometown. You need, or at least I needed, a community to assure the safety to express yourself in this way. To write literature like other art forms is an act of cultural preservation. Some enter the world feeling entitled to preserve their culture, and others of us enter the world fighting to prove we have one. I think because of where I grew up and the family in which I was raised, I don't always feel as if writing a poem is having any effect on the world around me. During those times when those feelings creep up in me, and they still do, I think of how few black writers I grew up reading. I think of how many I never saw. It chills me to think of how easy it is to forget who you are if you allow yourself to be open to it. When I see what the foundation has grown into, I'm encouraged. I think some people take it for granted that a Hurston Wright Foundation is available to us today. Some young writers, those who they continue to encourage with their college writers program and teen writers program, don't know a world without it. I remember how excited I was when I heard that it was coming and the excitement I had when I took the train from D.C. down to Richmond the first time. I had that same excitement the first time I was called by Clyde McElveen to come to teach a workshop. I've had the pleasure of teaching a few workshops for, for the foundation now, and the excitement of serving never wears off. In fact, I get excited each year when I see how much more they're doing year after year. I realize that I still need the Hurston Wright Foundation. It's not only a workshop, but it's also a community. We need it more now than ever, and we need the safe space it provides to fire our voices in the kiln. If you don't think these voices are important, you merely need to hear the voices calling for our own to be silenced. As long as Hurston Wright is in the world, the voices that preserve the culture will continue to rise. Thanks. Thank you so much. And I just want to reiterate what 
everyone here has said, um, Hurston Wright has a teen competition, the college competition, the legacy awards, the, um, the retreat where you could either be working at a university or a person, a citizen in the community. Hurston Wright has fed at so many levels, so many people. And I think of the amount of books, the words that are out in the world because of the contributions that Hurston Wright has made. And so, again, we honor you. We thank you. We are so grateful for all that you have given in that $750 that you started with. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and if we have any questions, we'll take those now. And um, just thank you all for being here. And please, again, yes. I just wanted to um, uh, just share some of those highlights of that impact, if I can, before we jump into questions. Okay. okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, so more than 250 books have been honored at the Legacy Awards nomination since it was started in 2002. More than 80 college students have won Hurston Wright College Awards since the competition began in 1991, and it was the foundation's first program. More than 25 of those recipients have gone on to publish books. More than 1,000 writers have participated in Hurston Wright workshops since the first one in 1996. Thousands of readers have attended Hurston Wright's public readings and programs that are held in libraries and bookstores. With 27 years under their belt, this organization has impacted a lot of lives, a lot of readers. That deserves a standing ovation. <laughs> Y'all better stand up. <laughs> no, yes, yes, Lord. Any questions? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't have any now, but we better. Any questions, please? Yes. Um, so one of the things that happens, I think, all over the country is that um, you might find yourself in a community in which um, there are no other writers who look like you. All right? And so um, what I was saying earlier was that I, I realized that had I stayed in my hometown and, um, you know, although I was, I was uh, thriving there, I probably wouldn't be a writer. And the fact that I came to D.C. where there's, there's a, a real vibrant um, literary scene um, and, you know, folks who look like me, it, it made it possible. Now, the thing that I learned, though, uh, going to these workshops is that there are folks all over the country you know, who felt the same way, who needed that, um, that space. And there are places I would go, um, you know, I felt like I was, I was fortunate enough to have access to different uh, workshops and places I could go to bring my work. But in going there, um, you know, people would fixate maybe on the cultural uh, reference in the, in the, in the poem. Uh, people would um, not get you know, certain things, uh, or they'd have uh, different political bents that they were trying to impose on the work. And whenever I went to the Hurston Wright workshop, it was just a space in which I could just talk about the craft. And that, that other aspect of it was never questioned. Um, you know, and then you could have uh, a, a, different, a different level of discourse uh, with the work. And for me, that, that provided the, the safety to be able to talk openly about... Um, 
ideas I had and things I wanted to do with the work without it being um, discounted for other reasons that um, had nothing to do with the writing of, of a poem. As a retreat um, participant, one of the things that I was most appreciative of was the varying levels of ability in the program. You had some people who had just started writing, but they had these beautiful voices. And then you had some people who finished degrees. And we were all equal in that space. There wasn't a lot of ego. Um, we weren't competitive. We were cheering each other on. And I think sometimes if you go to bookstores or if you look at the books that are reviewed or, you know, and we see all the hashtags, we need more diverse books, you would think that we don't exist. But when you go to Hurston Wright, when you go to the retreat, when you go to the Legacy Awards, you see not only do we exist, but we are singing so beautifully and we are cheering each other on. And so that to me was a very safe space where I could freely create and the people that I interacted with, with um, Patrice, Patrice actually worked with me one-to-one -one on my book after I left um, Hurston Wright. There are young women today that, because it was an all-woman crew where I was, but that we actually exchanged work with each other and workshopped together after Hurston Wright. I don't think you can get a safer place than that where you feel free not only to share within that setting, but outside of that setting as well. And I think they did it because um, they wanted to be nurturing, but they also wanted it to be rigorous, and it definitely was. And I think if they continue that, we're going to see a whole generation of, of young people coming out, changing the world with their work, and we need it now more than ever. So donate to Hurston Wright as well. <laughs> HurstonWright.org. Donate now. There's a button. That's right. I have <laughs> We're good team. <laughs> Any other? And if you haven't met Deb. <laughs> <laughs> Any other questions? Yes. Well, I'll start, but actually, I'm going to invite Marita <laughs> to finish the answer because she's the one who's been there for 25 years. And Oh, sure, come on. <laughs> but, yes, we apply for grants, individual donations, mm -hmm. yeah. our, our programming um, events. It supports the organization as well. We host a number of public events, particularly around uh, Zora Neale Hurston's birthday and Richard Wright's birthday, public readings in the city. And I remember the first one that we did, it was exciting. It was, what, 15 degrees outside? And we were at the Martin Luther King Library, and there were over 100 people who came out that chilly, chilly night. So, you know, the support is there. I think it's a mission that people believe in. And for me, you know, not just being a workshop participant, but also being chair of the board, to hear these stories here and to hear the excitement, it's that individual connection with the mission that ultimately keeps it going. Marita. Well, the $750 was my own money, and it was... Um, <clears throat> the first cash prize for the very first college award. 
Uh, and at that time, it was limited to African-American college writers in the district, Maryland, Virginia. I was teaching at George Mason, and George Mason was very helpful in forming the organization. Um, what we found was that when I left George Mason, for example, and went to Virginia Commonwealth University, um, you know, this issue of diversity Every 10 years, it has a different name, okay? <laughs> Same conversation, different name. Mm -hmm. So by the time I left GMU to go to VCU, the Hurston Wright Award for College Writers was established, and we'd begun making a little noise. So by the time uh, I went to VCU, Clyde and I had a meeting with the president of Virginia Commonwealth University, where because they recognized how important the award was uh, in its artistic reach and in terms of bringing legitimacy to their writing program, uh, the president committed to give us office space, a graduate student to assist us. They made a commitment to underwrite the award for college writers, and they gave us a break on housing for the summer workshop. So what we found was that finding an institution that was stronger than us administratively that we aligned with was enormously helpful. Also here in Washington, D.C. at that time, we worked closely with the Penn Faulkner organization, and many of the writers in that organization uh, gave salons in their homes, um, donated very generously. You know, Clyde used to always say that, you know, the typical donation to Clyde, to, 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 to Hurston Wright, is a 15 or $25 donation. And that's very true, that once you get a cadre of ordinary people who will write those checks, that's enormously important. Um, the atmosphere for supportive writers back then was very different than it is now. When, as we sit here, we don't know if there's going to even be an NEA. But, of course, we went to the National Endowment for the Arts, the D.C. Commission. But you never forget that it's those ordinary people the $25 check, the people who come to your readings, the people who may not ever attend a workshop, but just who love what you're doing. And you ask everybody, you never stop talking about your organization. And, um, and also, Clyde, well, we, we had to figure out how to do this. You know, we got the call. Um, we, and we figured out how to do this thing. So I think that once um, you have a great idea, the idea... Um, brings to itself the sustaining people, the sustaining energy. And before I sit down, because I know you want to bring Clyde in, but I want to tell a funny story about the power of the workshops when they first started. Um, there's a brilliant young writer that some of you may know and have read his work, Geronimo Johnson. He wrote a book called um, Welcome to Braggsville, which came out last year to a lot of praise. Well, about a decade ago, Geronimo sent in an application to attend the Hurston Wright Writers Week. But he didn't just send one application. He applied as Geronimo Johnson for the fiction. He applied as Ann Smith for the screenplay. He applied as Van Jordan for the third one. So he was except he was so determined to get into the workshop that he used fake names as well as to, to apply, because you could only apply to one. He got into all three. <laughs> so Clyde's calling these people who don't know that his, their name has been used. <laughs> 
ultimately, we straightened it out. And I went home. I said to my husband, Joe, do you know what this this guy did? And I'm like, what, what? How do we deal with this? He said, Marita, calm down. Anybody who's got that much imagination and that much dedication, you better hold on to him. He's going to be on television one day, and he's going to bring praise to the Hurston Wright Foundation. And he did. I saw him on Tavis Smiley. <laughs> about eight months ago. So that goes back to the kind of excitement that the, you know, the Hurston Wright Summer Workshop generated and continues to generate. And I just want to say that it's very important to me that we prepare for the next generation of leadership so that I feel very, very grateful that Darlene and the new team that's... Um, that's holding this dream, holding the space, is so committed. People don't have to do this, okay? People do not have, people have other things to do. But when you get called, sometimes you answer, and they've, they've answered. That's all I want to say. Thank you. Thank you, Marita. Let me just, I just want to uh, wrap up one more thing on that, though. The challenge is still there. Um, like your nonprofit, nonprofits across the country, we're all in a bind. I mean, these incredible missions by these incredible visionaries that have continued for these years, we can't let them die. 27 years is a long time, and there have been incredible highs, and there have been lows. When the economy went down 2008, this organization struggled like many others. We have come out of that, and we feel wonderful. There is still much more to be done. The other challenge, too, is in, in this new world of technology that we live in, really looking at how do we use that vehicle to tap in, to connect, to keep the community alive on a digital platform, but also let that support continue into the bricks and mortar, although we don't have bricks and mortar, but um, into the, the mission that's been there to keep it stable, to, to support that foundation. And also, as uh, one of my co-panelists said, you know, don't take for granted that it's going to be here. All of these organizations, we are vulnerable right now. And as Marita said, Organizations like this one do receive grants from the NEA. And if there is no NEA, what happens to that support? We're hoping that the inspiration is still there in every individual. And individual support is needed more than ever. So that's my mission. That's my soapbox. <laughs> do we have any other questions? Thank you. She's been trying to ask. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Did you meet Deborah? <laughs> Thank you so much for asking that question because this is a volunteer organization. We give a lot of time because we believe that it belongs here. Um, Deborah probably makes 50 cents an hour, and she's quite an accomplished journalist herself. 
But uh, she, after leaving the Washington Post, as having been the style editor for a number of years, um, looking for something to do, she met me. <laughs> and I said, Deb. <laughs> and she came and she volunteered and, um, and quickly you know, moved into um, another role with the organization. So it's volunteer and it's heart, and we need you. Thank you. Any other questions? Yes. Can we go down, starting with Van, and then we'll come down this way? You know, I think one of the things that people would always say to me uh, when I was starting out was just like, you know, read more and all that stuff. But um, years later, I I read... um, uh, and it took me like just kind of lived with it for about six months. Um, uh, Vladimir Nabokov's uh, lectures on literature, and in there he basically kind of annotates, I think like five or six books, and they're like books that you, you know, most people have read, like Great Expectations, Pride and Prejudice, Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde, you know. But I mean, he tears them apart. And in the introduction, what he talks about is, the, you know, how, you know, you don't have to have read everything to write a book, but you need to really know a handful of books deeply. And, you know, that and also um, the program I went to, Warren Wilson College, um, you know, the the process of annotating works and thinking about uh, what I'm reading, not in the way that um, people read who are um, just kind of reading for pleasure, but reading like a writer. And... You know, I have a, a sister-in-law, much, much better read than I am. She reads a book, like, every other day. I think she reads, like, really, literally, like, two books a week. Um, but, you know, when we start talking about, like, you know, like, the, you know, the, the mitochondria of, of the book, like, if we really get into the weeds of it all, um, it's a completely different conversation. And so I would just say to read with an annotating mind, find books that speak to you. Um, find books that you you want to imitate, and really like think about how are they how how are they moving through time in this piece? How are they um, moving? If it's fiction, how are they moving characters from one time and place to another? How are they um, dealing with um, the interiority of a of a, a figure, and how does that interior relate to the exterior? And just think about very specific things as you're reading, and read over and over again with a different lens on every time. And so for me, that was the, the, the thing that helped. But it's not just something that helped me as a emerging writer. It's something I, I still practice and do now. For me, the advice that I would give, um, and you know, I, I believe this is, it's not um, just my affiliation with Hearst and Wright, um, but... Um, I came looking for community, and I think that there's a lot that you learn from community. Um, And you can find that there wherever you live, even if you live in a remote area. And if you've got the Internet, (laughs) you can Google them. But but there are groups on Facebook and in other platforms where folks are connecting and sharing stories. Um, There's a group that encourages women uh, to submit um, I, I think one thing that you can do is walk through the exhibit hall here and um, um, 
talk to some of the journals there and the folks at the tables and ask them about their programs and what's what's happening within their organizations that may be open for someone like you. Um, and I think participating in retreats with other writers, building friends from there. I have friends from my Hurston Wright workshop that continue you know, to today and other workshops as well. Um, but I think it's building that community, building those connections, and, and staying, staying in touch with people, being open to someone else's story, and being open to share your own. I'll piggyback a little bit off of what Van said. If you're going to read on the one hand, write on the other. Just write, 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 write as if no one is ever going to see it. You know, write everything down that comes to you because you never know when you're going to use it. And the other thing that I found has always filled me, and I think it maybe is um, in the same vein that Hurston Wright began, is if there's something that I'm lacking in my life, something that I need and want, I try to be that for someone else. And so if you're in a situation where you don't feel like you have anyone to read your work, um, someone that you trust, someone that you want to workshop with, then do that for someone else, and then you might find that you're getting exactly what it is you need. I'd imagine when um, when Marita and Clyde started Hurston White, they they were wanting something too, the same type of community we're talking about that we got here, and look at what they've been able to get from that and to give from that. And so I live my life in that way. If I need it, somebody else does, let me give it to them, and I find myself being filled. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I was going to say community. Um, when I was your age, I was super spoiled. I went to Howard. I didn't have to try very hard in the places where I lived to find like-minded people. But then when I became a parent and I lived in Pennsylvania, I was much more isolated. So I was like, oh, I have to be the host. I have to open up my space to the three other black women I know around here. And, you know, that's what we would do. Like, we would block out a little bit of time, and it would be not a whole lot of socializing. There'd be a little bit of food ready, but you bring your own notebook or whatever, and then it's quiet. We write together whatever we're working on, and then there's not really any super workshopping at the end, but we kind of commit to that time together. So that was a really big thing for me like oh okay just offering up the space and having that making that little small community I think that's very important and then in terms of like long distance um, I have a, po a poet friend and sometimes we just make up exercises and we flip them across you know through email and that helps too just like low stakes are you in fiction did you say what Okay, great. So, yeah, you know, little exercises, little games just to keep it flowing. Yeah. And you said you're in California? So maybe Hurston Wright will have an online retreat soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can definitely apply for the summer workshop. Yeah, I think they do that. Hey. Oh, David. What's next? Okay. <laughs> well, actually, it's interesting you say that. Um, uh, Hurston Wright, very early on in its legacy, uh, did have 
a West Coast program. It went out. And Mar Marita, quiet, you want to get the details on that? Good afternoon. Um, before I get the details on that, I want to tell another bad story. Somebody asked a question a minute ago about um, what to do. I don't know who it was, but whenever we did a workshop, I would always ask the, particip the participants to do one thing. Take five minutes and write down what you want to get from this workshop. You are to keep it. You don't have to show it to anybody. But here was my promise, and I still think it holds true for the Herschel Wright Foundation, period. You might not get what you wrote on that piece of paper, but I promise you, you'll get what you need if you participate in the Herschel Wright Foundation. So that was our commitment. Um, what was it, 1992? We went to Moraga. We went out to... That was the St. Mary's College? St. Mary's College. 1998. 98? 98. Time flies. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we had a workshop. In, we, were, we were doing a, we did a, what we call a bi-coastal workshop. We had a workshop in Richmond, and a week later we had a workshop in California. One of our board members was teaching at St. Mary's, St. Mary's College. Mm -hmm. St. Mary's College. And we had the entire campus. And here's what's so fascinating about this situation. When we were in Richmond, um, we had an integrated workshop. And I think Marita will remember there was some uh, undertow, some things going on between the, oops, between the two uh, people, Europeans and African writers. Little things like if you had a character and you say it bees that way, Somebody wanted to have a discussion. What do you mean, bees that way? And we didn't have to have that discussion. We knew what it meant. But it means when you say bees that way, okay? So I left um, Richmond to go to California to set up to get the workshop started, or vice versa. Um, maybe Marita went and I stayed. I'm not sure. But anyway, we had a phone conversation, and um, we decided that there was something going on that we had to tackle. We had to tackle this problem with making Hurston Wright a safe space because it wasn't safe at that time for some writers. When we got to California, I think it was about 60-40, 60% African-Americans and 40% others. And uh, the tension could be felt after the third or fourth day. And someone came to us and said, What's going on? Why do we have to have this tension here? You know, well, we have, we have, we are an integrated workshop. And we were told you don't necessarily have to be an integrated workshop. <laughs> no, no law says you have to do that. So we went back to BCU, had a discussion with the provost and the president of the college, and we said we would no longer be an integrated workshop. And I remember the, I remember the uh, reply was, what took you all so long? <laughs> and from that day to this one, we have been uh, a workshop devoted to African-American writers. So it's a safe space. But we went through some turmoil to get there. When we were in California, I'll never forget, some sisters came to Marita and I and with their hands on their hips, 
And you know what that means when a sister has her hands on her hips? Because they were ready to go to war. Because they were being tested. The instructors had to spend too much time explaining to Europeans what, what we meant when we said whatever we were saying in the workshop. And it got to be very, very confusing. We had some Europeans who came to some workshops and they wanted to come to be near black folks because they had some black characters in their books. Now, if you know me, that did not set well with me. Okay? This is not a laboratory. You do not come here to, you know, to test anything, to do your work. I had a person call from South Af from Africa, from South Africa, and he wanted to be in the workshop. He demanded to be in the workshop. And he said to me, I'm, from, I'm, I'm an African. I said, whether you consider yourself a black person? I'm an Africana. I said, you didn't answer my question. Do you consider yourself an African? No, I'm not. Well, you can't come to this workshop. And he threatened. I said, well, you can come if you want to, but, but you have to come by me to get in this workshop. You cannot come to the workshop. It's, we're not against anybody. This is a workshop for African-American people. And we must maintain a safe space for us to grow in. That's all we're trying to do. Not against anybody, but for African-American rights to tell our story. Because if we don't tell our story, someone else will, and you won't like the ending. And sometimes you won't like the beginning of the story. <laughs> so I, I, Thank I, you. I probably got sidetracked. <laughs> But in terms of the future, what we envision is a more robust program of workshops and classes. Um, we offer classes in poetry, nonfiction, and fiction. Uh, we are looking at more master classes and um, looking to restore the teen program. Uh, but as you heard from, you know, Hurston Wright having roots in Virginia, having roots in California, and our roots in Washington, we're open, we're evolving, and we're trying to respond to the needs of this writing community. Thank you. And please continue that applause for the, our wonderful panelists. Thank you all so much. Thank you for being here. I hope you enjoy the rest of the conference. Thank you for listening to the AWP podcast series. For other podcasts, please visit our website at www.awpwriter.com.